0: Well, we've been at the Hills for about three years, and I think the things that have changed the most in my life during that time is just learning how to walk with God once again. We decided to join the journey here at the Hills and see what God had for us to do here. I attended church. I was going through the motions, but it really wasn't being done from the heart, and I think what has changed for me a lot is my heart being a part of, of this church. My walk with God has changed since I've been at the hills. We came here with a different attitude. We came here to serve instead of to be served. And I think that's what's made the difference for us. I spent a lot of my life living in fear because I had never really learned to trust God. And I think I've allowed that fear to limit me in so many ways as I've been on a journey with God. And it's prevented me from taking steps of faith along the way that I know God had opened doors for me to take. And so uh, there's, a, there's a sense of more courage now because I know it's God that's leading me rather than me trying to lead myself. And I think that's probably the single biggest thing that has changed for me over the last three years is that I feel like for the first time in my life I'm on a path. I'm not there yet, but I'm at least on a path to begin to walk in faith rather than fear.
1: Great.
2: Well, I want to extend my greetings to all of you that are here. I want to extend my greetings to the many people who are around the world uh, watching this service right now on the internet. And I want to extend my greetings to those of you who are watching uh, as a part of our West Side Campus on the screen. And uh, I'm glad that all of you have the opportunity to hear what we're going to share tonight because, as Chris mentioned... We haven't pulled any punches. We haven't tried to hide anything. We have great things to do here. And it's going to take a great amount of money. And so we're having a campaign. Our first in over 10 years. We need $10 million to plant churches. To start a new satellite campus. To uh, remodel this auditorium. To put new missionaries on the field. Uh, This is an over 50 year old church. And we're just getting better all the time. And we want you to join us on this journey. I should say that uh, November 13th and 14th is the big day when we're going to ask you to make your commitment. Uh, And not everyone can give all they want to give on that day. So for a year after, if you want to make a pledge, you can do that too. But we are, we believe, positioned to enter in the most fruitful time in the history of this church. We're like the children of Israel under Joshua right there on the border of the land of Canaan I want you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1 please we'll be there in a moment I heard a story of a Sunday school teacher who had the habit every week of giving her children candy that she brought and kept in the big bowl in a cabinet there in her Bible classroom and the kids enjoyed the candy well a couple of the boys snuck into her classroom early one Sunday because they were going to go get some candy without asking permission. She came in and she caught them. They had pulled that bowl down. They were helping themselves to candy that they weren't supposed to have. And they were quite uh, shocked that she found them and she wasn't pleased. She said, boys, what does the Bible have to say to thieves? And one boy thought a second and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. <laughs> Probably a poor application of scripture, but at least he was memorizing it. Well, I don't have to tell you that God isn't pleased when his children take what is not theirs to have. Maybe I do need to tell you that neither is God pleased when his children Do not take what is theirs to have. I believe God wants us to have the courage to enter into and to enjoy a give and take relationship with Him. And I say courage. It's going to require courage, as we're going to see in a moment. Because only braver believers receive greater things so, you remember that last week we saw how Moses led the generation that crossed the Red Sea right up to the border of Canaan. And they gave in to fear. And their timidity caused them to lose the blessing promised. And the saddest verse of Moses' life was, Then we turned back and headed to the desert. And so an entire generation did nothing but wait for funerals. And now they're all dead and buried. And their children have now been brought by Joshua to the same place their parents had been. And let's read now chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 5. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then... You and all of these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I, please notice this verse. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend, notice how large it is, from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates. All the Hittite country. To the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, what God is calling Joshua to summon the courage to do is take a land. Now, that word land is going to appear 87 times in the book of Joshua. And that just shows how important the concept of land was to the covenant that God had made 400 years earlier with Abraham. God had sovereignly chosen this piece of land. I don't know why, but He chose it. They called it Canaan then, Uh, they called it Palestine later. We're still calling it the Middle East and a bunch of other things. But this is the piece of land that God chose sovereignly to present the great drama of redemption. Abraham's descendants were destined to settle this land. To prepare the way for the coming of another Joshua. Yeshua. Jesus. Of Nazareth. And so God says. Get ready. I have promised. Your father. Abraham. His kids. Could have. This. Land. So they already owned it by promise. You know. But you can own something by promise. And still not have it. Right? I've got coupons right now. I've had for a long time. To nice restaurants. And I've never enjoyed the meal. Because just. Having the promise doesn't mean you get what the promise wants to give. It's time to turn the promise into actual possession. So God told Joshua the nation would have to take what is theirs. He says, here's the deal. I'll give you every place you set your foot. And I want you to notice how Joshua interpreted what God had said in verse 10 and 11. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you'll cross the Jordan here to go in, now notice this word, and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. God's going to give it, but you've got to go take it. In fact, I believe God was willing to give Israel more land than they ever took. God says, I'll give you from the Mediterranean all the way to the Euphrates. If you go step your foot on it, that's 300,000 square miles. Under Joshua, they only claimed about 30,000 square miles. Only under David and Solomon did The people remotely approximate the boundaries God said I was willing to give. See, I want you to understand something. All throughout your Bible, the Exodus, crossing the Red Sea, became a type for redemption. It represents being delivered from bondage to sin and from Satan. But now crossing the Jordan is going to represent something else. Not heaven. And I hate to mess up some of you when it comes to your favorite songs about someday I'm going to go to Canaan. But Canaan in the Bible doesn't stand for heaven. It stands for claiming your inheritance. You see, they're going to go into Canaan and there's going to be war. There's not going to be any war in heaven. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be sin. There's even going to be defeat. None of these things are going to be in heaven. Canaan doesn't represent heaven. Canaan is the type for the victorious life that God wants His children and His church to enjoy right now. You see, life in Christ is not this once-for-all triumph. Now, redemption is once-for-all. When you put faith in Christ, when you enter into His life, His death, His resurrection, once-for-all, you're saved. But you still got to go into Canaan. you still got to step into this life of daily struggle as you have these series of victories claiming everything you got a right to possess. And here's the deal. Let's face it. There's a lot of Christians and there's a lot of churches that are not possessing their full blessing. They've been redeemed. But they're still wandering in the wilderness. Not entering into the kind of life God wants them to have. Uh, the book of Ephesians is, in my judgment, the New Testament equivalent of the book of Joshua. They're teaching the same thing. Look at how Ephesians starts, chapter 1, verse 3. Now, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, I just want to ask, do you get the sense that most Christians and most churches are living possessing every spiritual blessing God wants them to have? That every spiritual blessing in Christ, the joy, the confidence, the hope, the spiritual giftedness, the insight and revelation from God, do you get the sense that that's how we're living? Or are we still on the wrong side of the river? You see, a generation earlier, God led a nation to this point and said, there's your inheritance. Go claim it. And they were afraid. And I believe God's still looking for that generation. I believe that's one of the ongoing messages of the book of Joshua. Are we going to be a generation with the courage to move into the land that God wants to give that our enemy has illegitimately occupied as his own? And so, you see, it's not just a book about how you take a land. It's a book about how you take a stand. Because you cannot drift into God's inheritance. you got to take it from those who don't want you to have it. Because when the kids come back 40 years later and they stand in the same spot their parents stood, the land is still occupied. The people are still big and they're not packing their bags. they got no intention to leave. In other words, you got the same exact situation their parents had to deal with. You see, Israel was going to have to fight for their inheritance. And so are we. Look at the end of the book of Ephesians. Where's every spiritual blessing we're supposed to have in the heavenly realms, right? Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities. Against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil. Where? In the heavenly realms? I thought that's where my blessings were. Hey, guess what? Satan is still guarding the inheritance God wants to give his kids. Everything God wants you to have in Christ Jesus, everything God wants to bless this church with in Christ Jesus, the enemy is going to try to intimidate us into not claiming. Too many Christians and too many churches live on the east side of the river. We allow the enemy to tell us how much in Christ Jesus we can have. And that stops with us. We want this city. We want Africa. We want Chile. We want the world. And we're not going to let the enemy tell us how much we can take. Near the end of World War II, in the Manchurian prison camp, there was an allied general, General Wainwright. He had been captured by the Japanese. He had been there for some time. They said he was a broken, helpless, starving man. And then the Japanese surrendered, and a colonel was dispatched to tell General Wainwright he was now in charge at camp. He went back to his barracks, and a couple of his former captors and guards began to try to belittle and berate him again. They say the general stood up strong with a countenance he had not shown before. And he said, no, I'm in charge now. And I give the orders. You see, we have to put up a fight. And our enemy is just like the Canaanites. He is doomed. He is cursed. He is destined to destruction. But he'll put up a fight. And we've got to summon the courage to follow our Joshua into the land. And so three times, God is going to tell Joshua, you need courage. And we're going to learn something. Watch the first time. It's in verse 6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. If we want greater courage to do the greater things God wants us to do, how do you refuel courage? Here's the first thing. You contemplate God's faithfulness. Because God was saying to Joshua, I swear this is your land. I swear it. I swore it to Abraham. I swear it to you. See, God's people live on promises, not explanations. Our confidence in the faithfulness of God is what motivates us to live by faith. When we think about the bold things it's going to take for us to accomplish our vision, the sacrifice of money and time and commitment, what causes us to step out in faith is the memory of how faithful God is. You ever been to Philadelphia? I haven't. But if you've been there, here's how that city got planted. William Penn. He was friendly with the Indians. The Indians liked him. They said, we'll give you all the land you can walk around in a day. The very next day, he got up while it was still dark. He started walking. He walked and walked and walked till the sun went down. Then he came back to the Indians and showed them where he walked. And they didn't think he'd do it. But they kept their word and they gave him the land. That's the city of Philadelphia. You see, he took them at the word. And that's what God is saying to Joshua. Take me at my word. I swear it. You can have the land. You get to the end of the book of Joshua, chapter 1, 21. You read these words. So the Lord gave Israel all the land. He'd sworn to give the forefathers. He'd sworn it. And they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side just as He had sworn to the forefathers. Not one of the enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all the enemies over to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. So how do you feel a courage tank? Well, you just contemplate how faithful God is. He promises to give what we in faith will take. But you can't take it by faith. If You can't claim it if you can't name it. So notice the second thing that God says to Joshua about courage and in verse 7 and in verse 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn it from the light or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. You meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you'll be prosperous and successful. Okay, something happened that's never happened to me before. Last Sunday night I was in Abilene. I got to have the honor of being the keynote speaker at their annual lectureship. There's a huge crowd of several thousand people waiting in the coliseum. Several of us are gathered before we take the stage. The guy who's going to do the announcements, the man who's going to lead some singing, a man who's going to say a prayer. And they had asked a young theater student to read scripture that I was going to preach from. So it's almost time to walk up there and go. And the young student, he runs up and he says, I can't read scripture. And, and the director said, why not? He said, my phone's dead. What? My phone's dead. I mean, he was totally baffled. What am I going to do? How am I going to read the Bible if I don't have my phone? So I said, "Would would a Bible work?" So we went and we got him a Bible. And we said, "This is a Bible, and here's the tricky part: it's got pages." But you didn't figure, and he did, and he did a great, great job. So now when I get up, I'm just going to start saying, hey, get out your Bibles and your phones. Because the tract is, thanks to these applications now, we've got the Bible with us everywhere, folks. There's no reason for us, not just day and night like Joshua, to be in the Word. Because I don't believe you can be significant for God if you're ignorant of his word. His revelation, just like his land, it was given to be taken. You see God's words a powerful weapon in warfare. An army officer says that back in the late 50s he was teaching artillery training at Fort Sill. And he said it was a tough job because the soldiers wouldn't listen to him. They'd fall asleep in lecture. They wouldn't take notes. They sent him back seven years later to teach the same class. He said they took copious notes. They paid attention. They asked questions. What was the difference? The Vietnam War. It's amazing when you know you're in war how much you want to learn. That's our problem. We're not convinced that an enemy is trying to keep us from our land and our blessing. If we were, we'd be in the Word more. Instead, what we do now is we come and we sit in church buildings and we we tell someone to feed us. And that's about all the Word most of us get. You ever been to Yellowstone? They'll give you this sheet of paper, when you come in, it'll say in big letters, Do not feed the bears. What's one of the first things you see when you drive through Yellowstone? People feeding the bears. And here's what you don't see every winter. The bodies of dead bears, they have to haul off, who have forgotten how to feed themselves. Because they depend on other people to do it for them. It's very interesting to me, in the book of Numbers... God has Moses kind of commissioned Joshua in front of all the people. And God says, now here's the deal. You tell Joshua, when he wants to inquire of me, you tell him to go stand before that priest. And, and, And I will give him special revelation of my will. Now even though that's true, isn't it interesting? He gets to the border and you know what God says? You better be in my book every day. Even though he had the ability to receive special revelation, God says, I still want you in my book. I still want you reading my law. I want you meditating on it day and night. And so, as we prepare for this campaign, I've told you all along, the goal is not that you be a bigger donor. The goal is that you become a better disciple. We've got to get in the book. To have the courage to do what God wants us to do in this city and around the world, we've got to be in the book. You cannot just depend on me or someone else to feed you. So one of the things we're going to do, in fact, I'm going to ask, if you passed out communion, would you go to the tables right now and do something for me? I want you to pick up and give to every adult and teen a copy of this. We've prepared this 40-day prayer guide for you. Chris Hatchett and his team put it together, and at the front, Chris has put... Three large sections of Scripture we want you to read and live in. It's going to start next Sunday, and every day for 40 days, we want you to be in the Word, and we want you to pray. I want everyone to get a copy, every single person, because we want every person writing down their own observations in their prayer journal. By the way, we also have something for your children that Chris will tell you about in a moment. And then there's something else we're going to be doing. In the month of October, we want to get you back in small groups, and we're going to have small groups discuss my teaching, and I have prepared uh, questions for your small groups. And in every week, I've picked scriptures I want you to dig into and share and meditate on and discuss with each other. We are going to have an intense season of feeding on God's word. And here's what's going to happen. This is important. I believe the more you get in the Word and listen to God, the more you will start to see God in your daily life. And that's the last thing that gives you courage. Look at verse 9. God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I'll tell you what will fill your courage tank. It's to anticipate God's presence. God is not a casual observer of the attempts of His children to claim their inheritance. He's a constant enabler. Didn't Jesus promise us this? Didn't he say, I want you to grow followers of me all over the world and I will be with you wherever you go. And I think nothing fills a courage tank like expecting God to show up. It's the difference between staying on one side of the river and talking about the past and crossing the river to create a new future. Do you remember what Chris Travis said last week as he and his wife prepared to plant a church in Manhattan? We believe we can take a landfill with giants because God is there. And He's going to be with us. I want you to meet two other couples who have the same conviction for a different part of the world. So I'm going to ask them to come up right now. You're going to meet Wes and Ellen Shut and Reed and Meriden overall. And I hope some of you who have been here some years recognize right away Ellen and Meriden, because Ellen was Ellen Brooks, and Meriden used to be Meriden Layfield, and Ellen and Meriden grew up here in our church. They're leaving, we're going to help them go to Concepcion, Chile. It's a part of the Harvest Contribution and the Greater Things Campaign. I just wanted you to meet them real quick. I'm going to ask first, Ellen... um, Tell us a little bit about how growing up here helped you have a heart for mission and for the world.
3: I was so blessed to grow up here at this church and be exposed to missions from an early age. Um, with many of you, uh, you taught me what it means to serve. I was able to serve alongside my family and other adults like Cindy Scripture and Chris Hatchett and the McNeeses in places like Honduras and Mexico and These experiences just captured my heart and um, made me realize that long-term missions was something that might be in my future. This church also exposed me to the wonderful ministry of Let's Start Talking, um, headed by Mark and Sherry Lee Woodward, and many of you supported me on a campaign that I took with them where God changed me and um, began revealing that I was to serve Him in long-term missions. I just want to say thank you so much for these awesome opportunities and experiences. And it thrills me to know that um, this church will continue to be a part of my life and missions.
2: Yeah. Talk about that for just a second, Mary. What does it mean to you that when you're down there in Chile, the church you you grew up in is going to be a part of that work?
3: Well, it is truly um, a privilege. You know, as future missionaries, we understand how essential it is that our supporting congregation... Not just acknowledge the Holy Spirit, but trust the Spirit and trust its leading. And I know that's what we're getting, because I grew up here, and I witnessed it firsthand since I was a child. And so now, to be able to witness it again, with y'all's willingness to send us to proclaim Jesus Christ and his name in a foreign land, not because you trust in our ability, but because you trust in God's, is truly, it's humbling and it's rewarding. And we just can't wait for the day when you all get to meet Chilean souls that you impacted because you had faith to believe in a vision that changed eternity for them. So thank
2: you. Well, Wes, uh, I've been to Santiago, and I'm sure a lot of us have heard of Santiago. Maybe we haven't heard of a city called Concepcion, except maybe recently because of the earthquake there. Tell us a little bit about uh, your burden, your vision for that city, where you're going.
4: We have many burdens for Concepcion. Uh, close to our heart, though, is the earthquake that occurred on February 27th. One of the most massive earthquakes on record, an 8.8 magnitude earthquake, uh, shook the city. And in the suburb of uh, Taquano alone, 80% of the inhabitants there were left homeless. Um, another burden that we, that we feel and think about frequently is that so many of the Chileans... Uh, that, that we know and are yet to know are experiencing loneliness and a lack of community. And uh, this was evident in a recent survey that we, we administered while on a, on a trip there to Chile when uh, a college-age student responded to the question, who do you turn to during difficult times when you're in need of comfort? And he said in Spanish, a nadie, which is to no one. And this is a very common reaction to a question like that in Chile. We're excited to be but jars of clay carrying the treasure of Jesus Christ to Chile. And we hope that vibrant communities of faith will one day be seen in Concepcion that reflect God's image through discipleship and love.
2: Amen. Reed, one question for you then. I mean, there has been a lot of darkness in that part of the world. And Satan certainly isn't eager for anyone to come claim it for God. But have you seen God working in advance? How do you what make, why makes you think you can take this land?
1: Yeah, um, um, there are many ways that we see that God is already working in Concepcion, but one way in, p- in specific is on, the, on a trip that we just took there, the four of us got invited into the home of a, a Chilean doctor, and he was able to let us know more about the city, uh, give us all kinds of good information about the people there, and we were also able to share with them a lot of our hopes and dreams for the city. And as we were leaving, he walked us down to our car, and uh, we could tell he wanted to say something to us, but we went ahead and let him know that uh, we just appreciated so much his hospitality and how much, you know, he cared for us. But then he looked back and he turned to each one of us, and he said, I was the one who received hospitality. And he said, I see a light in your eyes. I don't know what it is, but I want to find out. And so we know You know, why why do we think we can take the land? Because the light of Christ is in the hearts of, you know, each of our team members. And we see that we are bringing the light with us there. It's, It's not us, but it's in us. And the light always penetrates the darkness. And we believe that God's going to do that in Chile.
2: Hey, guys, thank you so much. It's an honor to be a part of what you're going to do. Thank you. I want to commend to you a great, great piece of literature. It's called Winnie the Pooh. And I'm serious. Great literature. And uh, there's a great scene where Pooh and Piglet are taking an evening walk uh, in silence for a long period of time like only friends can enjoy with each other. When finally Piglet turns to Pooh and and, and says, Pooh, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you say to yourself? And Pooh says, what's for breakfast? And then he says, and when you wake up in the morning, Piglet, what do you say? And Piglet says, I say, I wonder what exciting thing is going to happen today. I love that. You see, I don't believe we take God to West Fort Worth I don't believe we take God to Uganda and I don't believe we take God to Chile I believe God's already there I believe God is working in advance waiting for his people to come claim what he's eager to give see I think that's what caused the people then to start marching toward this swollen river a few days later I mean that river's at flood stage and God says go walk over to that other side and they start walking And they put their feet in the water, and it stops. Now, here's the thing. For that river to stop, that means upstream, God was already working. God was already doing His thing, preparing for His people to come into the land. And you know what they did? They took 12 big old rocks out of that stream, and they made a memorial. And they said, this way, when our kids ask, we can say, this is the day we went and took the land. We don't want just to impact our day. We want to impact the next generation. That's my prayer. That That's what's going to happen. So forgive the pun. But here's what I hope we become. I hope we become bolder believers. Because fear would have us stay on the wrong side of the river. But God wants to give us so much more. So my Brothers and sisters. These next few weeks. Be strong. And courageous. Would you pray with me please. So Father. Again. I just just have so much joy. When I think. Who am I? Who are we? That we should be asked to be a part of something. So eternally important. Thank you. Thank you that we've been. Delivered from the. Insanity of letting our entire lives be consumed with the pursuit of drivel. And for giving us the chance to spend our money and our time in the pursuit of that which angels will sing hallelujahs over for millennia. So God... Give us greater courage to receive everything you want to give each person and that you want to give this church. In Jesus' name, amen. One more thing. God wants to give you salvation. God wants to give you forgiveness of sins and life in Christ, but you got to take it. got to by faith come and call Jesus Lord. If you haven't done it, do it right now.